BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, June the 25th, 2017. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. And uh, you can check out the show all the time at our partners, MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Hope everybody's doing well, and we're going to make another foray. I think it's our fourth live call-in show here. I don't know what to expect. Every time I do these, I don't know what to expect. I don't know if anybody will call in. That's always your your biggest fear. So set it up for an hour. It was kind of a last-minute audible. It was something that I was looking to do maybe two weeks from now or so when the All-Star game came around or the All-Star break. And end the first half, but with so much going on, all negative, despite the fact that the Mets just a few minutes ago finished the three-game sweep against the Giants, and Rafael Montero got his first win in about three years. A lot of positives uh, since Friday, since pregame Friday, when the news came out about some of the controversy with Estrubal Cabrera not wanting to change positions, asking for a trade, you know, Collins kind of uh, going off and things like that, but. Uh, we're going to get to your calls. Uh, I'm going to kick it off here and kind of set everything up. My uh, The number to call in is 646-716-8187. Again, 646-716-8187. I don't know if there was any mailbag. We'll ask uh, Joe D. at some point um, whether or not there was any mailbag for uh, for this show. Sometimes, uh, you know, he's able to throw some over to me and um, – I'll answer those as time goes on. The two things, there's, there's a few things that I want to start off with here, and I'll, I'll get to the calls. You already got some guests on hold here, so bear with me. I'll, I'm going to get to everybody, and I think I'll get to everybody here when, uh, you know, by the time the 60 minutes is up, or, or if it's earlier, maybe it's earlier. We'll see. We'll see how this thing goes. You had two stories that really symbolize the issues that I've been talking about with this club for the better part of really six or seven years with the, both the fact that uh, they have a very poor manager, they have a very poor pitching coach, and despite the fact that they've been to the playoffs twice and went to the World Series, I think that in spite of that, the process was bad, and I think the Mets could have had just as much success or perhaps more with a better duo there at the top. You saw stories come out which really signify why they have the wrong guy in place. The Estrubel Cabrera situation where he came out demanding a trade, didn't want to move to uh, second base, is, is in a nutshell is what the whole issue with Terry is. He's a soft manager. And he is in the clubhouse there is being run by the veterans. And he clearly does not want to discipline, push, or put anybody in that clubhouse out of their comfort zone for fear of a coup, he still really isn't over 1999. 
Now, you ask me why. Why would I take the Cabrera situation that way during all this that really hasn't gotten much play? And I want to get to it right here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it up to make sure I have it verbatim, the tweet that I was looking for, because I made sure I immediately liked it. I think it came out Friday, right around when it came up. Um, and John Hopper of the New York Daily News uh, was told that Estrubal Cabrera declined Collins' request weeks ago that he play third base. Terry didn't push it, fearing fallout in the clubhouse. To me, that tweet symbolizes what the issue here is with this club. The fact that this manager, and I'll even go as, as far as to say, at least if this tells me the manager has the ability to fill out the lineup card, then that's good because you've heard all sorts of things. Well, he really doesn't totally fill it out. It's a team effort. The front office has conference calls. I, I don't know what the hell to think anymore with these ball clubs and the way they try to run things. But if that's the case, that's the positive. The negative is this. If I think as a manager that third base is better for you, sure. Do you want to come in and say this is my way or the highway? Uh, you know, I don't know if that's the right thing to do. But at the end of the day, if that's the right thing, position the message in a way where you have a choice, but you don't have a choice. And here's the thing. It really tells me at the end of the day that these players are not committed to winning a championship here. They're not. It's, it's, it's very clear to me that they're not committed to that. Because if that's what's best for the team, I mean, what the hell is that going to do to him? It's only going to make him more versatile. He's got a player option. I understand he wants it picked up, and he's using this whole situation as leverage. Look, these guys have to make a living. I understand that. It's about them and their families and their money first before anything. I don't blame them on that. But if you're afraid of losing the clubhouse as a manager because you don't want to push Strubel Cabrera to a position which if you polled all those guys at the clubhouse, if they think that he at third base instead of Jose Reyes is a downgrade defensively, downgrade from Wilmer Flores, then those guys are just as stupid as anybody else because there's not a guy in that clubhouse that would say that. Can he play third base? I don't know. He sure as hell can't play shortstop anymore. He, de- he declined precipitously over the offseason. I don't know what it has to do with age, injury, effort. I think there's been effort. Remember, I said, I tweeted, I thought there was an effort issue with Cabrera weeks ago, and I got roasted on Twitter. It was every time there was a pop-up or a lazy play. I was like, there's a lot of lazy plays by Cabrera. Well, seems like maybe I was on to something. And now you see the manager doesn't want to push people, and he doesn't want to push anybody on this clubhouse out of their comfort zone. And guess what? They've pretty much been asleep now since the World Series in 2015. With the exception of maybe a kick it into gear late August of last year into September, ironically, after a series in San Francisco. Ironically. So everybody's probably thinking, well, this is the start of something good. Let's calm down. Big difference between a year ago, despite the fact that this is uh, you know, earlier in the season and maybe there's more time to make up the gap. There's just a bigger gap. This team hasn't been pushed. They haven't been pushed to take themselves to the next level. They've been content to live off of the pennant in 2015. They've been content to make excuses. They've been content to be uh, one in the muck, I'll say. Yeah, we'll get into the playoffs. We'll see what happens. And guess what? Now you're one in the muck in a really crappy muck. A really crappy muck. muck. And to parlay that, comment into something bigger what I've been saying about the pitching coach who I think, and the fact that Sandy Alderson came out this week and said that Dan Worthen is the solution long term well either that's the ultimate vote of confidence for a guy that's getting fired or Sandy Alderson and his management team are completely clueless because you have one of your best starters going to a broadcaster albeit a Hall of Fame broadcaster who I think after listening to him on the radio, listening to him during games, should be a pitching coach. He probably doesn't want to get into that hornet's nest. Not when you have a cushy broadcasting job that probably pays him seven figures. Much better travel schedule, even though he's, he's on the road. Much better travel schedule and work schedule than you would get at any point 
working for a ball club. Jacob DeGrom goes to John Smoltz for advice. Hey, maybe you should throw more between starts. Well, Smoltz has been saying that a lot. Now, I understand organizations have credo and players are employees, and technically employees should be listening to their employer. But whatever this employer is saying, whether it's coming from the front office, the borrowers, people who I don't think know what the hell they're doing, or this pitching coach, it's not working. And lo and behold, Jacob DeGrom reveals that working a little bit more with some soft tossing in between starts to work on his mechanics is actually a good thing that's helped him. And look at the results over the last three starts. The only pitcher, and I'll put Syndergaard in there, the only pitcher that just goes out there, grinds it out, and gets results. He's not perfect. He's not perfect at all. And Kevin Kernan said it best, and Kernan has had a great week out on the West Coast. And I wanted to get him on tonight, and he just he can't do it because of the West Coast time difference. But we'll get Kevin on in, in the near future. Guy doesn't have to have a comic book hero uh, name. Yeah, he's got the hair and all that stuff. Just goes out, and he pitches, and he wins. Reminds me a lot of David Cohn. Just go out there, pitch, grind it out. Not perfect, going to have his clunkers. He's, he's a gamer. He's going to win. He's going to give you innings. And if there's one guy I'm going to sign to a long-term contract when he goes north of 30, because he's already 29, and, and a lot of people, myself included, forget that. It's Jacob DeGrom. You need leadership on this club. You need it in the dugout with Collins. You need it with the pitching coach. And it's not just about going through video with mechanics. Every pitching coach in the league could probably do that. It's about understanding your pitchers. And when the guy in the booth, and I understand, again, I'm going to go back. It's Smoltz. He's a Hall of Famer. What he said to DeGrom is nothing I haven't heard him say on the radio, on broadcast, generally about most young pitchers. You know, it's just so simple. Why is this not being recognized by this great pitching coach that supposedly is the solution? There's no solution in the dugout. Nobody's going to get any better. You want to tell me Montero's getting better? What I've seen of Montero is that he's gotten better in the minor leagues at AAA. When he comes up here, he doesn't pitch well. Today, he pitched well. Uh, I thought he got a pretty generous strike zone, which he hasn't really gotten in other starts. I don't know if that's just for today. We'll keep an eye on it. But to me, that's, those are the two things that really crystallize and validate my criticisms of what's gone on in the dugout. Not to mention the fact that there was, uh, and it was on Metsmorize, it was written about on MetsmorizedOnline.com, that Terry Collins ranked the 27th uh, manager in baseball. Ken Rosenthal even went to say that most executives would even agree with the list. Now, I'm not a big Joe Sheehan guy, I mean, with his newsletter. He could take that newsletter and his opinions. I could put out a newsletter, too, and, and, and the only difference between he and I is that he had, at one point, he worked with baseball perspectives which gives, rightfully so, some validity. But I've seen a lot of dopey things that Joe Sheehan has said. And if Joe Sheehan was so great, uh, you know, he would be employed somewhere. You know, he falls into the Will Carroll uh, bucket of, of guys who, who, are a lot, who think they're a lot more important than they are. And it was his opinion, that list, but it was a pretty good list. And it's funny, the guy in Colorado, Bud Black, that's in the top ten, was available. So while the Mets have given Terry a chance, and everybody's given Terry a chance, and the media's talked about what a great baseball lifer, and they mentioned that again this week, about what a great baseball lifer you have there. This, this uh, uh, you know, the rest of the league has, has gone on and caught up. So I want to get to uh, a few other things about free agent and the team, but I do want to get to the lines as, as, as there's those listening in. Uh, let's go to New Jersey first, 908. Five four eight. Uh, you're on the air with Mike Silva here on the Talking Mets podcast. How are you doing? Great show. Thanks, man. What's going on? So I wanted to talk about our, our catching situation. Obviously, Darno has not has not not done what we expected him to be. He he's been a big boss the last few years. So I wanted to ask you what you thought what you thought what you thought of our catcher next year and going forward because 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 Ploiecki has not done any has not. It's not done much better. And Rivera is a backup. So what are your thoughts for the future? Do you think uh, Nito can be, a, can be an option down the road? Well, Nito's certainly on the 40-man, and I think that he's an option, but he's played in double-A. And, and, and I think what this team really needs is a veteran game caller who could, who could be actually a leader of these young pitchers. Yes. I mean, that, that's, something, that, that's something I think that's been lacking with Darno. 
first, Darno's never developed offensively into the player that I think anybody thought he would be. And I'm not saying he would be Mike Piazza, but he was a guy you thought you'd get 15 to 20 home runs, driving about 70 or 80 runs. Right. Um, you know, maybe like Jonathan Lucroy. Now, Lucroy is a free agent. If you look at the free agent list, and I'm looking at it right now, you don't have a heck of a lot of it. You have Lucroy, who's 32 years old. Um, you have, you know, Wellington Castillo. Uh, you don't really I mean Matt Wieters may opt out. Uh, I don't know what, what, what that would be all about. I don't know what he would want. But, uh, you know, you really don't have a heck of a lot out there other than Lucroy. So the answer to me is that if you really want to get a veteran, they already were in on Lucroy last year. Maybe that's the guy you go out for. Uh, is he the veteran game calling leader that they need? Uh, you know, I, I, I think it's an upgrade, right? Uh, and then Darno to me is a backup or, or trade bait. Maybe somebody else will say, hey, look, I think I could, you know, turn Darno into something. I think that's right. the direction I would go. Uh, I don't know if there's that veteran uh, catcher available via trade. And if they are, they are uh, similar to Lucroy, they would, they would probably cost a lot. Right. You know, that's, yeah, that's what sure. it is. Hey, go ahead. I'm sorry. That's okay. Yeah, I'm not sure if Lucroy is the answer, but like you said, the coverage is pretty bare for, for free agents, so so he might be the best option we have. Absolutely, and I want to thank you for the call. So good way, That's a good call to start, a good segue. The number is 646-716-8187. Give me a call, 646-716-8187. I have a couple of uh, uh, mailbags that I'm going to get to in a minute. Uh, you know, one of the things you guys got to remember is when it comes to dealing. That's the next step here. Now, I gave you my feeling about what's wrong, about the things that came out with Worthen and Collins and all that other stuff, but also about dealing players, the return, and also the thought about all of a sudden collecting assets because everybody's so quick to say, well, Addison Reed could get you assets and Jay Bruce could get you this and Neil Walker could get you that. I would say this. First off, you definitely want, and I, and I agree with Joel Sherman, you probably, because the Mets have offensive players available, you want to jump into the market early before it gets flooded with other type of players that may potentially be better options. I think Jay Bruce is going to become a, a really attractive option. And in the case of Jay Bruce, Sandy Alderson has been always very methodical and has been detailed and his approach to dealing players. You saw it with Beltran. You know, R.A. Dickey, uh, same situation. He, was, he got burnt a little bit with Ike Davis, depending if you believe they could have had Zach Britton for him, and they turned that down, and they really got nothing for, for Ike Davis. Uh, if they got anything for Ike Davis at that point in his career, it probably was a win because I think the league knew that Ike Davis wasn't going to be the player that everybody thought he was going to be. But when you really look at the history of these deadline deals, especially if you look at the Mets, or when they sell players off, the return is never guaranteed. Now, I'm going to go back a while. I was looking up some deals. I looked at a guy like Brett Saberhagen, who is one of the best pitchers in the National League when the Mets traded him in 1995. was probably a contender for the Cy Young when he went to Colorado. And they got Colorado's best pitching prospect, and Juan Acevedo. Now, 1995, what does that really tell you? Young pitcher, best pitching prospect. They got another pitcher by the name of Arnold Gooch, very low-level minor leaguer. Uh, neither of those guys turned out to be anything, certainly not the value that you would expect for Saberhagen, who was, I believe, signed, so they had the ability to hold on to him a little bit longer and keep him in that rotation. Didn't work out. Saberhagen was traded. I think they had to change the culture there, and I think Saberhagen was part of what they thought was the problem. A year later, or actually that same year, 1995, I should say, later in the year, I shouldn't even say that, Bonilla's traded. Bobby Bonilla's traded, and they get Alex Ochoa, who was the Orioles, I think, number two prospect, and Damon Buford, a son of a former Oriole who played against the Mets in the 69 World Series, who a couple of years earlier was a top 10 prospect. So they get a couple of position prospects. Now, Ochoa was the guy that Profiled well in a deal. Arm, power, um, hit for average. I mean, kind of the five-tool player, he didn't pan out. Now, maybe those were bad examples, but what I'm saying is this. Just because you trade one of these guys for assets doesn't mean any of these guys are going to pan out. Now, the fact of the matter is the Mets have these guys as free agents, so 
it's a little different. They're not trading a player that they could hold on to. But in the case, and it seems like Ken Rosenthal, according to Ken Rosenthal, um, they're not as likely to trade the one guy that is on the contract for next year, which is Jerry Blevins. See, to me, just trading Jerry Blevins for the sake of it, unless you get a really great haul, now you're stripping your team of a valuable piece because unless you believe that this is it, the Mets are going to go into a long, protracted five-year rebuild, which I'd be very disappointed if that was the case after this year because I don't think this is a trash team at all. I think this is a mismanaged team. I think this is a team that maybe they overestimated the uh, certain players at certain positions. I certainly think, and I agree with Joel Sherman, that you need to get a little more athletic. But this idea, younger and athletic, that was a whole Omar Minaya thing. And Omar Minaya would sign all these Dominican guys who were young and athletic, and none of them could play baseball. So sometimes you've got to be careful about just dumping players for guys who have a little bit of speed in them or could catch the ball. You want players who could play the game here. And the Mets have guys, especially offensively, they could play the game. You know, the offense has not been their problem. Keeping the starting pitchers healthy Maybe the fact that they didn't bring in a veteran to replace Colon, a guy that could stabilize the rotation that you could count on, that could give you innings, you know, that plays into it. Um, that, you know, that certainly could be said. But I wouldn't just start ripping things apart and just trading these guys for anything. First of all, you want to have a season here. Even if you're not going to make the playoffs, and they're not going to make the playoffs, to, to strip it down right now just for anything – just to get something so that you can watch 90 days of hard baseball and guarantee pretty much a 90-plus loss team, to me, that's not what I would do. I would, and I don't think Sandy Olsen will do that either. I think he's going to try to get the best deal possible. You know, He held on to Jay Bruce all offseason when everybody said that there was no market for him. Now there's going to be a market for him. A left-handed hitter like that, you know, let's see. The problem is, is, is such, and Jill Sherman is exactly right about this, the teams that are going to need to upgrade, they're going to probably be looking for pitching. The Astros don't need a bat. The Astros would love Jacob, Jacob deGrom. And, and look, I, would, I wouldn't trade Jacob deGrom. Here, two minutes ago, I'm lauding the guy, saying he's, he's the one guy I would sign. But you've got to listen. It's the same concept as what you saw with the Knicks this past week. The Knicks this past week put Christoph Porzingis out there and asked for a haul. You never know who says, hey, I'll give it to you. Just like uh, the Cowboys with Eric Dickerson. They threw him out there. Oh, you can't trade Eric Dickerson. He's your only player. Well, that's what, built the, what Dynasty was built on. You never know what someone's going to give you. With that said, you know, who are you going to trade uh, Jay Bruce to? You know, the Yankees need a first baseman. Maybe Lucas Duda becomes that guy. Uh, I don't know what Milwaukee would want. Uh, I don't think they're going to they're gonna necessarily need the offense. They're probably going to need pitching. Uh, you know, the Dodgers seem pretty well stocked offensively. Same with Arizona and Colorado. Uh, you know, it's not going to be easy to go out there and get something because although Jay Bruce has value, people don't, you know, there's teams don't need a hitter. I think Addison Reed is probably more likely to fetch you something as you get deeper into this, you know, closer to the trade deadline. And they say, oh, you know, you know, he's a free agent. Well, so is Aroldis Chapman. Now, I'm not comparing the two, but if a team is desperate enough for an arm, you know, you never know what they give. Let's go to the phone lines. Uh, another New Jersey caller, 732-8281 is the last four digits there. You're on the Talking Mets podcast with Mike Silva. What's your name? And, uh, oh, looks like we lost our 732 uh, area code. So give me a call back there. We lost you there, 732 uh New Jersey area code. Um, so, I mean, the point is this. Everybody gets caught up in assets. Everybody gets caught up in, oh, what can the Mets get? This isn't fantasy baseball mogul. You know, you're going to dump Granderson. What are you going to get? Look, if you get something that, and I'm not talking organizational long shot filler. As you get deeper, if you could get a reliever that you could use for next year for Granderson, if that's something that you could pull off, sure. You know, maybe some kind of prospect that, you know, a Dilson Herrera-type prospect like what they got from Marlon Byrd, who, who has some upside. And look, that trade worked out. Who would have thought the Mets would have got anything from Marlon Byrd when they signed him in spring training? 
But it's got to be something like that. that. That trade is actually a good example of what the Mets may be able to do this year. And there's another example of a team, Pittsburgh, during that time, which was really desperate to make the playoffs and maybe overpaid a little bit for Marlon Bird, who was having a really good year, and they need an offense. I think that's what you're hoping for with Addison Reed, a team that really needs a bullpen arm. The team is actually the Washington Nationals, but I don't know if these two teams would ever hook up. I mean, Reed has to be a better option than anything, as much as Reed has been shaky in the closer role. It's got to be a better option than anything that the Nationals have right now. The number is 646-716-8187. Love to hear from you. I actually have a bunch of mailbag questions that I want to get to. Uh, So I'll start getting to the mailbag here. And uh, if you guys want to call in, obviously, you know, that's great. If you want to just mail it in, uh, that's great, too. Let's go to Phil here. Phil, I think the Mets should be signing Jay Bruce to a three-year deal and not trading him. What do you think? Well, that's very complicated because where do you play Jay Bruce? If you really believe that Michael Conforto can play center field every day and played at an elite defensive level, then so, so be it. I mean, I would be fine with that. Uh, it's not a terrible uh, idea. I've been very impressed with Bruce. The, the type of player that Jay Bruce, upon coming in, my impression was, and uh, you know, at times the name Kevin McReynolds came up, a guy that came in, maybe put up some numbers, and, and put up numbers on a tack-on type of situation, wasn't clutch. That was the impression. I thought of Jay Bruce as a guy that would bat seventh on a good team, Strikes out a lot, gives you a real good six weeks, and then goes into the tank for a while. He's been a gamer, man. You know, he's come here. He's he's approached New York head on. He's uh, accepted the the challenge. You know, he went through a lot of crap last year about how things went the last six weeks. But I think the final seven to ten days last year gave you an indication of what Jay Bruce is all about because he played pretty well the last week of the season last year, and he's you know carried that over into this year. I mean, the guy has, you know, 20 home runs. He's got over 50 RBIs. Uh, He's been, outside of Conforto, the best hitter on this team. And I'd put Cespedes as the best hitter on this team, uh, but he hasn't played enough. Now, you have Conforto. You know, Duda hasn't had a terrible year. It's quietly been a good year, actually, for Duda. Uh, Neil Walker was playing well before he got hurt. Uh, The offense has not been the problem, like I said. Would I sign Jay Bruce to a three-year deal? I just don't know if Conforto would be an everyday center fielder. And he hasn't been bad in center field. But I don't know if that's the, the, the direction the Mets gotta want to go. With all the money coming off the payroll, you wonder if they would go after like a Lorenzo Cain. A guy that has a little speed, better defensively, could uh, you know get on base, wreck, you know wreck some havoc. Uh, guy that actually you know was was pretty solid in the World Series, or I thought was a, a dangerous player in the World Series. I wonder if that's a player that the Mets would go after and sign instead of Bruce with that three-year deal. And I'm going to look up Lorenzo Cain right now, just so you guys can get an idea. Uh, Lorenzo. So I was looking at, you know, he's a free agent. Um, you know, it's a guy that's going to steal you maybe 30 bases, you know, 20 to 30 bases, get on base at a decent clip. He's having a good year. He's hitting 277. He's got 10 home runs. Uh, <clears throat> you know, th- that's a guy that I think uh, I would certainly consider. You talk about signing Jay Bruce, I would certainly try to sign – I would. I don't know. Again, I don't think they're going to go that route. I think they're going to go the route of letting Bruce, probably trading Bruce. Letting Bruce, uh, you, know, you know, I don't think they're going to look at him when he's a free agent. Trade Bruce, get something for him, if they can get something for him, and then go in a different direction. I think they have to start acknowledging that defense is important. And if you told me who would I assign Jay Bruce or Lorenzo Cain for three years, I would sign Lorenzo Cain. I think they would just fit the line because I think Conforto and, and Cespedes in the corners 
with a, a legit center fielder, um, you know, a guy that I think is pretty good defensively. And 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 I don't I haven't seen the guy every day, so I have to look at the metric. I mean, the metrics to me, I don't take defensive metrics as seriously as some others because I just don't think that the data is consistent enough. I don't think they figured that out. I think that's very hard. I think you really have to look at a player play day in and day out to get a feel at what kind of defensive player you have. Like, I don't care what the metrics say about Lucas Duda. I think they're actually pretty good for him. He's okay. He's average to maybe slightly above average, but he can't throw. And I don't know how good his decision-making is. You know, to me, there's you know, better defensive options out there. So that's how I go. I know that's a little long-winded. That's how it would go. The number is 646-716-8187. Give me a call. I have a couple of mailbags here, so it looks like some want to shoot me an email and, and go that route. Gabriella. So here's what Gabriella has to say. What's the deal with Matt Harvey next season? Does he automatically get a rotation spot, or will they let him earn it in spring training? I think we have at least five pitchers who have passed them up on this team. That is a great question, and I will say this. And I will say this not just for Matt Harvey. I'll say this for every one of those pitchers, not named Syndergaard, not named DeGrom. They all have to earn their spot in the rotation. Harvey's not guaranteed anything. I don't think Wheeler's guaranteed anything. Uh, Gazelman's certainly not guaranteed anything. Uh, Montero's not guaranteed anything. Uh, Matt's, I think he still has to prove himself, but I think Matt's is a... um, Believe it or not, a more reliable option or more of a sure thing than Harvey at this point. And same thing with Lugo, although they haven't pitched great. I mean, they've been okay since they came back, both Mats and, and Lugo. I mean, you know, Mats' strikeout rate's down a little bit since he came back as well. So I need to see a little bit more from him uh, before I say, hey, you know, he's... You know, he's back at full strength. So I look at it this way. You still have a quantity of pitchers. You really can't trade any of these pitchers. They're not really worth anything other than DeGrom and Syndergaard. I mean, if you want to really tear the thing down, if that's the direction you want to go, and I just can't see the Mets doing that. I mean, you spent all this time building this up to tear it down again. I mean, there are some people that actually like that stuff. Well, this didn't work out. I'm tired of this. Let's start over and build it a different way. Well, Mets got real lucky during this rebuild. Syndergaard was uh, not supposed to be the player that he turned out to be. They got lucky with that. And I don't know if they really knew DeGrom was going to be who he was supposed to be. Uh, you know, Montero was supposed to be a lot better than that. You know, obviously he had Harvey. And even Harvey, when he jumped on the, uh, the scene, he, he didn't, uh, you know, nobody thought he'd be this. There was questions about whether he's a bullpen guy. So let's go to New Jersey. I think I'm I got to get it out. That was a tough one. There's something going on. I think that's our buddy Chris. His phone is uh, off. Sorry about that. It was a <clears throat> little situation there. Uh, let me see. It's Chris yeah, Chris Massiello. I think that was uh, vitamin uh, CM. Well, ch- keep trying to call in, Chris. I want to get you on. Uh, that was a tough one. That, uh, that call. Oh, let's see. I think I got Chris up. Uh, Chris, you're there. Uh, you're on the air with Mike. So we're talking about this podcast. Hey, Mike. It's Chris. Hey, finally got yeah. you on. What's going on? Yeah, I had a little phone issues. Nothing. I was uh, calling in. I, I read the whole thing about uh, John Smoltz working with uh, DeGrom and straightening him out a little bit. And I've watched him a lot on uh, MLB, and he's, that guy's a great analyst. I mean, you talk about pitching. You, he's obviously a genius. He's obviously got Hall of Fame credibility, and he studied under, you know, maybe the best pitching coach of this generation. So what do you think it would take to uh, I'm assuming, and I lost you there, I'm assuming you talk about what would it take to get him to be a pitching coach. I don't know. And, Chris, you're more than welcome to try calling in again. I know you're having some phone issues, but you're more than welcome to try to call in again. Uh, I said that in the open. What would it take to get John Smoltz? I don't know. I'm sure teams have inquired, but I think that guy should be a pitching coach. Now, remember one thing. Knowing pitching and understanding pitching and being able to communicate that and be a coach are two different things. You heard Russ Langer on. 
recently, and he talked about Frank Viola, who was also a Cy Young Award play, uh, winner, great pitcher back in the day. And he seemed to, the way I understood it, I, he seems to have a knack of communicating and getting through these pitchers and calming them down and really playing mini psychologists. I'm not really sure Dan Worthen could do that. I think Dan Worthen's gig is mechanics or working with them on their mechanics or video. I just don't know if Dan Worthen really connects with these pitchers. Nobody ever really talks about him as he's changed my life here. Or, I mean, think about this. Jacob deGrom came out to the media and said, I called John Smoltz, and that's who really helped me here. He didn't mention anybody else. He didn't mention Dan Worthen. And I remember, I, I, you know, someone had told me, this is not the first time DeGrom has gone kind of out of the Worthen camp here and on his own. You know, maybe some of the other pitchers start doing their own thing here. Mets really got to evaluate this deal. But I think believe Chris's question before he got cut off was what would it take to get him? I don't know, but I would inquire. I would see what the guy wants. He's a smart guy. Think about John Smoltz's career. And not only the, the fact that he pitched at a very high level in games that mattered. When you guys saw game five of the 1996 World Series, you saw him beat the Mets plenty of times. Here's a guy that was an elite starter, got hurt, came back as an elite, elite closer, transitioned back into a top-of-the-rotation starter later in his career. Pitched to about 40 years old. You think that's easy? Guy knows a lot about pitching. And he knows how to stay healthy. And he had Tommy John surgery. He was hurt. Um, he didn't have a pain-free career. And that's the other thing I think these guys have to realize. They're not going to have pain-free careers. You're going to have to pitch through some of this stuff and figure out how to pitch through some of this stuff. And if you're not pitching, if you're not working out, and Rick Peterson used to say this all the time. I think it was Rick. How can you ask somebody to run a marathon when all they do is sprint? You're a sprinter, right? You're not going to all of a sudden go out and run a marathon and do it effectively. You're probably going to get hurt. You have to use the muscles. You have to build it up. I don't even know if it was Rick Peterson. It was somebody who talked about it. It might have been... I don't know. I mean, there's, there's so many different individuals out there that have, might have even been Leo Mazzoni, um, that, that come out and make comments about how things are not being run properly today. That, you know, at some point, you've got to think these guys in the front office have to, have to listen. Funny enough, Leo Mazzoni is known as a quack now. I mean, you, you, Chris said that to the extent that he's one of the best pitching coaches of a generation. And maybe that's so because he was handed some pretty good pitchers. But those guys excelled under him, and he seemed to know how to work with them. Also, I think to take Mazzoni out of this situation, Smoltz and Glavin, Maddox, those are really smart guys. Those are really intuitive guys. Those are guys that are masters of their craft. They're not just guys going up there and throwing. And I think right now, Outside of DeGrom, who even he has gotten into that habit, the Mets have a lot of throwers, guys who are impressed with the radar gun. And they have to start to realize that that's not going to be what's going to get them through an entire career. And, and learning how to pitch with what they have, especially when they don't have their best stuff, is something that they need to get to the point where they're comfortable with. DeGrom actually did that a lot last year when he had the uh, nerve issue. We'll see what Syndergaard does if and when he comes back this year. It's probably not going to be till August. You're probably not going to get these guys back, Harvey, Syndergaard. Maybe not this year. If any time, it's going to be mid to late August. It's not really going to matter in terms of the, the, uh, the standings. I still think this is a team that probably could finish 500 unless they really strip the roster. Because I think there's a lot of offense on this team and there's a lot of crap in the National League. There's so many bad teams. So, but it was a very interesting question by um, Chris, vitamin CM. And uh, it really is, you know, what would it take to get a John Smoltz? Personally, you have the guy in your system that probably could come in tomorrow and be a, a great asset to the big league club in Frank Viola. They need to overhaul this coaching staff from top to bottom. The only guy on this staff that I believe has had a positive impact and should stay is Kevin Long. 
And I think the pitching coach has a far greater impact on the pitchers than the hitting coach has on the hitters. They're all basically therapists, let's face it. But the pitchers need to really be on, uh, you know, almost like a, um, a program, especially now. And, and I've seen how good pitching coaches um, could have an impact. You mentioned the name like Leo Mazzoni. I think Rick Peterson, go back to his time here. You guys might think he's a, a wackadoo. But he had some mediocre staffs that he, he did well with. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. We have the uh, 630 area code. What's your name? You're on the air with the Talking Mets podcast. Hello, 630 area code, 8445. Oh, hey, hey. Sorry, Matt. My bad. Uh, Mike, rather. I'm sorry. Mike. <laughs> hey, what's up? Yeah. Not much. Well, uh, it's John calling in just hey, uh, responding to Chris's comments regarding whether or not uh, Smoltz is going to be a solution. And I, I don't think John has any interest in, in, in pursuing that avenue, but I, I think certainly within the organization are certainly people that can. So um, it was a good question by Chris, but I don't think uh, that's a direction John would go. And I think John's there more to provide uh, insight and advice and, and direct these guys. I agree with that. I mean, look, I think knowing John Smoltz and what you've heard, you've got to think that a team has already reached out to him at some point, maybe the Braves, to see what's going on. You know, and he probably said not interested. But, look um, – I'm sure you've heard him like I have. Anytime you've heard John Smoltz talk, um, it's always an education in pitching. I've learned, you know, just from 15 minutes listening to him on certain podcast radio shows, it's, it's, it's something that uh, you, you can't dispute that you'll learn more and you'll, you'll understand the craft of pitching a lot more after listening to him. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's by far, and I think he hit the nail on the head. You know, when you look at Smoltz, you look at Glavin, you look at Maddox, you got three guys that pitched. And certainly when John went down with his Tommy John and injury, you know, he had to come back and be a different guy. And there are very few guys like him who had amassed the one loss record as a starter and then finished out being a, a closer and then kind of went back to being a starter. And I think that's the fundamental challenge because he is a baseball guy first and foremost. He wants to see guys perform, and there is a wealth of talent in the Mets organization that can perform. The problem is they don't pitch. They throw. And I think he thinks about things relative to pitch counts, what they're doing, how they're commanding it, uh, when they're commanding it, and, and attacking guys early, understanding where you're at in a particular game and where in the order you're at, why waste your ammo, things like that. And I think he's helped, and he certainly commented the other evening, uh, with respect to the Jacob in terms of what he was doing at flying open uh, and, and pulling down on that uh, left side and not uh, staying on line and driving through the pitches. And, and, you know, those are simple mechanical things that as somebody like a Jacob DeGrom develops, he's going to understand, he's going to feel, he's going to sense it. And, but I think Chris brings up again, a great point. Does somebody like uh, a, a small is he somebody who can come to the team and make a difference? And I don't think that's a guy. I think Viola can be that guy. Um, but I don't know what's going on organizationally that says, hey, you know, Danny Worthen, why aren't you out there talking? What's going on with these guys in their bullpen sessions and things like that? But I'm talking way too long at this point. No, thanks for the call. That was Actually, that was a – I agree 100% with everything John said. I wonder if he knows John Smoltz. He actually <laughs> has a lot of insight there. Uh couldn't agree more. That was a perfect, uh, perfect response there. Uh, and I think you're going to hear a lot more from the fans after that comment by Jacob as to, you know, maybe this, this is finally, and I, and I, and I, I don't want to talk about this every podcast because I opened it up with this today is, you know, there's a big issue there with Collins and Worthen. And it concerns me when I hear the general manager, who I think is a smart guy, and I haven't agreed with all the time. I've been critical of him, but in the long run, uh, you know, he's a guy that has brought structure and professionalism to the front office, and this team is in a better place than it was in 2010. And to be fair, yeah, he took Manias players, a large contingent of them, when they made the World Series in 2015, but he also those guys had to be developed under under him. 
my thing is this. I think they're coming to the big leagues in a pretty good place, but they're getting off track, and the adjustments they have to make, I don't know if they have the guys to help them. I always tell you this. You know, Mickey Brantley had a conversation with him many, many, about 10 years ago down in Port St. Lucie. He used to be the hitting coach for the Mets in the late 90s, and then he was in the, uh, uh, the organization in the minor leagues. And he always said, and he was talking more from a hitting perspective, these guys are going to have to have the intelligence to adjust and adapt because the league is going to figure them out. And it's a chess match. You get figured out. And then you have to adjust, and you get past that, and then they try to figure you out. It's back and forth, and then eventually you become who you are, and and that's either you know all star level, a very good level, a not so good level, out of the league level. Like eventually you just you hit your watermark. And um, I think these Mets pitchers are trying to figure out how to you know now that the league has kind of figured them out. Like how do I get past that? And Harvey has had injuries. Uh, Degrom has had injuries, but he seems to be pushing through this. We'll see what happens when Syndergaard comes back. We'll see how Mats and Lugo uh, have... I'm actually... It's funny. I was more bullish on Gazelman than Lugo, but the more I think about it, I wonder if Lugo is the guy because he could, you know, certain to a certain degree can pitch. I'm not saying he's going to be a top-of-the-rotation guy, but I think Lugo could be a solid number four, number five. I wonder if, if, if I should be more bullish on Lugo. I like Gazelman because he threw harder... I felt he had some moxie. Uh, he didn't really care. He wasn't tim- intimidated, but he's really regressed big time this year. And again, it might be pe- you know to that point, like I said, that um, you know he's trying to push through now that the league has figured him out. Let's go to uh, a seven one eight area code seven one eight and sixteen oh nine is the last four digits. What's your name? You're on the air with Mike Silva, the Talking Mets podcast. Hey, hi. Thanks for taking my call, John. No problem. What's uh, going on? Uh, I just wanted to mention, you know, you look at 2015, the, the Blue Jays were picked to be a very good team, and yet they were under 500 with Reyes. The moment after they got rid of Reyes, they started to win. The red flags were at the beginning of this year, at the end of April, the Mets had the third lowest DRA in the month of April, yet they were under 500 at the end of the month, which is another proof how Reyes' unhealthy presence holds back the team. If you look at just whether it's the bleach chair last year, the familiar it shows that he has an influence, and that's my biggest point is that when you have players that are competing against the top professionals that's trying to win also, if something's off even a little bit, if something's holding you back, that can make all the difference whether you miss a spot on a pitch or if you swing and and the ball hits a certain part of the bat and fouls off. What I'm saying is they lost many close games that could have gone either way, and this guy, Reyes, in my opinion, is destroying the team, and if they really want to start going on a run, they have to release this guy immediately. Well, uh, and thanks for the call. What's interesting is you could tie that in maybe to the whole Cabrera thing. And if you looked at some of the commentary by the beat writers, the uh, you know the first guy that Cabrera went to after he left the club, uh, the meeting with Terry Collins was Reyes. Now I know some people don't like Reyes because of the domestic issue. Uh, I don't. I mean, here's what I'll say: Reyes is not the reason why these pitchers have regressed. Now, has he helped them defensively? No. So you could certainly say that. Uh, is he a, a cancer in the clubhouse? I don't know about that. Now, he certainly could be a, a, certainly be a leader in the Latino contingent. You have Estrubal Cabrera, you have Reyes, you have Cespedes, you have Lagares. Um, I haven't seen any indication that he is the cancer. Now, you're saying that the Blue Jays took off after they got rid of Reyes. Well, if you look back at that deal, let's just look at some of the facts here. That deal, uh, it wasn't just getting rid of Reyes. That deal, and let me make sure I get the deal uh, perfect here. They also got Troy Tulowitzki. They got Latroy Hawkins, who still had a uh, a little bit left in the bullpen there at that point. Um, so they they got something there. And then you can say, well, the Rockies released them, and now they're being successful. I know what you're saying, and again, this Cabrera thing, which it's funny. The minute there's a little bit of you know, job on the line, everybody starts to play well. Cabrera goes out there, gets a lot of three hits on Friday. Team in the play of the Giants, remember that. It seems like since this whole incident that things started to you know, shake them up a little bit. There's some energy out there, and there's a sense of urgency, which they haven't had all year. Is that Reyes' fault? I'm not really sure. I understand you probably don't like Reyes. I don't know if I can blame Reyes for all this stuff. I certainly don't think he's helped offensively all the time. 
I don't think he's anywhere near what he used to be defensively. The fact that they want to move Cabrera to third base tells you all you need to know, that they, they just don't think that Reyes, who I, I thought didn't play a bad third base last year. He wasn't great, but he wasn't a detriment. I think now that you have him over the course of a full season, uh, you're probably seeing more of the warts at third base. And he's certainly not the same player uh, at short. The range isn't there like like it was when you know his first time around, and nor would you expect it. He's been through a number of leg injuries. He's you know guys whose legs are their primary asset. When those legs start to decline, they become very unvaluable very quick. It's not like they have power that they could fall back on. The number six four six seven one six eight one eight seven. Love to hear from you. I have a mailbag here from Pete. When is Wilmer Flores finally going to get some respect? Much lesser players than him have been handed starting jobs, but Flores always has to go four for four just to keep playing. Why doesn't Darno get the same kind of scrutiny? He blank. I won't say the word. I, it's a little family show. It's a four-letter word with an S at the end. <laughs> Actually, a five-letter word would be S at the end. He blank. Um, I think Darno gets scrutiny because there's really not another option. I mean, the, all you have to know the, on the Darno part, and I've said this a thousand times on this show that a career minor leaguer fringe catcher is probably taking his job away and has already taken significant playing time away from him, tells you all you need to know where he is at at this point in his career. As far as Flores, here's the challenge with Flores. I agree that Flores, and coming into today's game, he was hitting 295 with seven homers, 24 RBIs, uh, had a tough stretch of it in LA, but had a good series here. I think it was like seven or eight for you know, eight for eleven, seven for ten here in San Francisco. What's the position? He can't play shortstop. He's not a good third baseman. He's okay at second base, but I'd prefer them as they go into the offseason. Same thing with Bruce and, and signing Bruce and maybe bringing in someone like Lorenzo Kane. I'd prefer them to focus on someone who could be an, uh, an asset up the middle defensively. This team went to the World Series with Wilmer Flores and Daniel Murphy up the middle, and those are really – that's an awful double double play combo uh, defensively. Good offensively, but awful defensively. I think Flores' best position is first base. Now, if Dominic Smith comes up and they trade Duda at some point, which I think if they fall out of it, you want to probably get a chance to see what Smith can do. That's why I think trading Duda might be – most important if they fall out of it because not because of what you can get. I think you want to give Dominic Smith not just September, but some time to really get an idea of what you have. I didn't like the answer I got from Russell Langer on the show about Dominic Smith. It was, was, and again, this is my opinion. It's not Russell Langer's opinion. I'm just reading through his answer. It seemed like the ceiling wasn't as high as what we think offensively. We know he's got a good glove. Uh, he was maybe getting his numbers or building his numbers against players that he's not going to be facing at the next level. That's what I got out of him. With that being said, then you need to see what he can do at the next level and see, you know, if this, if this guy's got a good glove, but he's going to hit a buck 60 or 190 or 200, I mean, that you really can't have at first base. You can't go from Lucas Duda, who very well could hit 30 home runs, to a guy that's a good glove, no hit. You know, you can't, you can't go down to Doug Mankiewicz here. If you get my drift. And, and maybe Flores, that's the position that he can, he can eventually mature into. I just don't see him being able to play any other position. He, his footwork is bad. He's a liability defensively. And that's my issue with Flores. By the way, the number is 646-716-8187. I have about five minutes left. You know, one thing you guys really have to be careful with, as the Mets potentially trade off guys or lose guys like Walker and Bruce and Reed, you know, maybe trade a Duda. There's not a lot on the free agent market. Go to MLBTradeRumors.com. And, you know, yeah, they'll be able to find relievers, and I'm sure there's a veteran pitcher. You know, even maybe an R.A. Dickey is a guy you could bring in if a veteran arm you want to have to – give you some stability and anchor the staff in case there's, you know, an injury. But you're going to need to have a second baseman. You need, you're going to need to find an outfielder. You may need to find a catcher. I mentioned LaCroix earlier. You may need to find a first baseman. 
if Dominic Smith doesn't uh, uh, work out. Now, if you trade any of these guys, Addison Reed I'll throw in there, you could re-sign them as free agents. It becomes a little harder because once they go somewhere, they like it, they develop a relationship. It's possible that they want to, they want to stay. But look, Aroldis Chapman left, came back. You know, he seemed to like his time with the Yankees. I don't know. I mean, you keep hearing how much they like playing for Terry and they like it here. I don't know. I don't know anymore. Because the Stribble Cabrera doesn't seem to really be having a hell of a good time. Unless he's playing shortstop, which he's not really that good at anymore. So the answer really is, you know, and it goes back to Flores, what's the position? The Mets have to get better defensively. I don't agree with Joel Sherman just going out there and dumping guys like Granderson and, and, and uh and Bruce for, you know, maybe players. There was a couple of maybe names that he threw out there um, earlier this week. He, he mentioned, um, let me go to Toronto. On Toronto, he, uh, he mentioned, let me bring up the name here, Ezekiel Carrera, a guy who actually used to be with the Mets organization. He was in the J.J. Putz trade. Uh, that's a guy that uh, you could, you know, that's not going to do anything. All right, he's, he's athletic, you know, he can run. I mean, he's. That's a guy who's bounced around. You know, he's 30 years old. That's you know, that doesn't get me going here. You know, that that's 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 exactly the kind of player that you get, and then you wind up saying, "What am I going to do with this guy?" That's that's not going to be get the job done. Um, you know, you can re-sign these guys. It is possible, but um. You know, I just wouldn't give them away. I, you got to be real careful because here's the thing: you're going to be sitting here. You know, let's say you trade Jerry Blevins, you're going to be looking for a lefty reliever. Unless you feel this has got to be torn down completely, and it doesn't. It doesn't really. There's a lot of holes this team has to fill, and it may have to be filled with some of the players that are currently on the roster. They may have to resign some of these guys. That's what it comes down to. The Mets have a pretty good offense. They have to figure out their pitching, their bull, specifically their bullpen, and keeping their starting pitchers healthy. And I think the solution is is to get a better program in here and get a better pitching coach. And you know, we talked a lot about John Smoltz today and all that stuff. But regardless, let's talk realism. You have one in AAA that seems to do a pretty good job. I mean, Montero seems to go down there and pitch very well. Maybe he's a four-hit player, but he's not going down to the Pacific Coast League and getting pounded. And he looked pretty good today. Again, I thought he had a generous strike zone from the ump. He's against one of the worst offensive teams in the league, if not the worst, for optimism. But it's a start. It's a step in the right direction. I think that's about it. I think you guys have had it. Uh, no more mailbags. I think we uh, exhausted the call. So, hey, I want to thank everybody for uh, tuning in. We did this a little earlier than we anticipated. I was going to try to do this, uh, you know, I think around the All-Star break. But wanted to throw it in there. Wanted to get it out there. I thought we had some good uh, commentary, some good call-ins. Uh, you know, some good mailbags, and we'll try to see if we can do this again before the year is out, maybe around the trade deadline. So let's let's make a date of it now. We'll around the trade deadline, either before or after, maybe after, and eh, maybe before. I think before would be a good one. I think that would get a lot of, uh, spark a lot of conversation. Uh, we'll do another one of these. So in about a month, we'll get back on this and uh, and get this going. Hey, thanks a lot, everybody. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can check out the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Give me a review on iTunes. It's greatly appreciated. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Thank you so much for a great show, and I'll talk to everybody next week. Take care.